Hello and welcome to our London History Podcast, where we share our love of London, its people, places and history. It's designed for you to learn things about London that most Londoners don't even know. I am your host, Hazel Baker, qualified London tour guide and CEO and founder of londonguidedwalks.co.uk. Each episode is supported by show notes, transcripts, photos and further reading, all to be found on our website. Click on londonguidedwalks.co.uk, podcast, and then select the episode that you fancy. And if you enjoy what we do, then you'll love our guided walks and private tours that we offer throughout the year. So get that cup of tea, put your feet up and enjoy. It's official. London has gone coronation crazy. In today's episode, we'll be delving into the fascinating world of British royal coronations. These ceremonies have been a significant part of British royal tradition, symbolising the formal investiture of a new monarch and the continuity of the British monarchy. So, let's embark on a journey through time to explore the history, key elements and notable coronations that have shaped the British monarchy. British royal coronations have evolved over centuries, incorporating religious, cultural and political elements that reflect the nation's changing landscape. The concept of coronations can be traced back to ancient civilizations, such as the Egyptians, who held ceremonies to symbolise the divine authority of their pharaohs. These ancient ceremonies often involved rituals and regalia to convey the pharaoh's status and power. In medieval Europe, coronations were used to mark the ascension of a new monarch and provide legitimacy to their rule. The ceremony was steeped in religious symbolism and tradition, reflecting the close relationship between the monarchy and the church. There are three main components of a coronation. The procession, the ceremony and the banquet. Coronation processions have been an integral part of the British monarchy since the Middle Ages. These events allowed the newly crowned monarch to be presented to the people, reinforcing the bond between the sovereign and their subjects. In the early days, processions would typically begin from the Tower of London, where the monarch would reside in the days leading up to the coronation. The procession would then make its way through the streets of London towards Westminster Abbey, the site of the coronation ceremony. Throughout history, pageantry and symbolism have played a significant role in coronation processions. Monarchs would often ride on horseback or be carried in elaborate carriages, such as the Gold Stage Coach, which was first used for King George III's coronation in 1761. The procession would also include various elements that symbolise the monarch's power and authority, such as military regiments, heralds and members of the nobility. The public would often line the streets cheering and celebrating as the procession passed by. In more recent history, coronation processions have continued to evolve, reflecting the changing nature of the British monarchy. For instance, during Queen Elizabeth II's coronation in 1953, the procession included representatives from the Commonwealth nations, highlighting the Queen's role as the head of a global family of nations. 
Additionally, the advent of modern technology has allowed these events to be broadcast on television and radio, reaching a far wider audience than ever before. Coronation processions remain a significant aspect of British royal tradition, serving as a reminder of the monarchy's long and storied history. These events provide a rare opportunity for the public to engage with the monarchy, fostering a sense of unity and national pride. In England, the coronation ceremony has undergone various changes, reflecting the religious, political and cultural context of different historical periods. The Norman Conquest in 1066 marked a turning point for English coronations, as William the Conqueror's coronation ceremony borrowed elements from both Anglo-Saxon and continental European traditions. This blending of customs would continue to influence the development of English coronations over time. William the Conqueror's coronation ceremony involved the anointing of the king with holy oil and the placement of a crown upon his head, and that marked the beginning of a long-lasting tradition in British history. William the Conqueror's coronation was not only a pivotal moment in his life, but also a turning point in British history. His successful conquest of England brought about the unification of the country under one ruler, forever altering its political landscape. As the first Norman king of England, William's reign introduced a new era of governance and culture, which would go on to shape the nation's identity for generations to come. The coronation ceremony at Westminster Abbey, which has been the setting for almost every British coronation since William's, symbolises the transfer of power and authority from one monarch to the next. It serves as a reminder of the monarch's enduring presence and the nation's unwavering allegiance to its sovereign. As the years have passed, the coronation ceremony is involved, incorporating new elements and adapting to the changing time. Yet, at its core, it remains a celebration of British history and the continuity of the monarchy. The anointing of the holy oil and the crowning of the monarch continues to be central aspects of the ceremony, reflecting the divine approval and the sovereign's authority. But a little more about that later on. William the Conqueror's coronation was at Westminster Abbey on Christmas Day 1066, and it's the first coronation that can be proven to have been held at Westminster Abbey, and that sets the precedent for the future kings and queens of England. And during the medieval period, the English coronation ceremony became more elaborate, incorporating additional rituals and symbols of power, the anointing of the monarch with holy oil, for example, was introduced in the 12th century to emphasise the divine nature of the monarchy. Over time, the regalia used in coronations also grew more sophisticated, with more crowns, scepters and other symbols of authority becoming increasingly ornate. The Reformation in the 16th century had a significant impact on the coronation ceremony as England broke away from the Catholic Church and established the Church of England. The religious aspects of the ceremony were altered to reflect the new Anglican faith, with some Catholic elements removed or modified. 
Westminster Abbey's long association with the monarchy has given it a special status as a symbol of the British nation and its history. The central space within Westminster Abbey, known as the Sanctuary, is where the most important rituals for the coronation take place. Here, the monarch is anointed with holy oil, crowned and invested with the regalia, all under the watchful gaze of the Archbishop of Canterbury and the gathered audience. The sanctuary's sacred atmosphere and grand architecture contribute to the solemnity and importance of these rituals. Within that space is the historic coronation chair, also known as King Edward's chair. This ancient chair, which has been used for English coronations since the 14th century, serves as the monarch's seat during the ceremony. By sitting on this chair... The monarch is symbolising connecting themselves to the long line of their predecessors who have also taken their place upon this throne. In addition to coronations, Westminster has served as the backdrop for countless other significant royal events. Its majestic architecture and hallowed halls have witnessed the joy of royal weddings, the solemnity of funerals and the eternal rest of monarchs all of which have contributed to its unique position at the heart of Britain's heritage. One of the most significant coronations, I suppose, is the coronation and procession of King Charles II. This was a significant event that marked not only the beginning of his reign, but also the restoration of the monarchy after a period of republican rule. So... Let's travel back to the 17th century and relive the vibrant and jubilant atmosphere of Charles II's coronation procession. To truly appreciate the importance of Charles II's coronation procession, we need to understand the historical context. After the execution of Charles I in 1649, England was ruled by Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector, during a period known as the Interregnum. However, when Cromwell died in 1658 and his son, Richard, proved to be hmm, an ineffective leader, the monarchy was restored and Charles II was invited to return from his exile in 1660. The coronation procession of Charles II took place on 23rd of April 1661. The route of the procession began at the Tower of London and continued through the City of London, passing by significant landmarks such as the Guild Hall and St Paul's Cathedral. After the ceremony had taken place at Westminster Abbey, the procession finally ended at Westminster Hall, where a grand banquet had been prepared. The procession featured a diverse array of participants, from the highest-ranking nobles and members of the clergy to the humblest of tradesmen. Charles II himself was dressed in resplendent royal attire, riding on a magnificent horse and accompanied by his personal guard, the lifeguards. In addition to the mobility, various London guilds and livery companies also took part in the procession, showcasing their trades and professions through elaborate pageantry. The atmosphere during Charles II's coronation procession was one of excitement and celebration. 
After years of civil war, the restoration of the monarchy symbolised a return to stability and prosperity for the nation. The streets were filled with music as trumpets and drums accompanied the procession and people waved flags and threw flowers before the king as he passed. The spectacle was a vivid display of the nation's joy and support for their restored monarch. Charles II's coronation ushered in a period of cultural and artistic renewal known as the Restoration. The English coronation ceremony serves as a potent symbol of the continuity of the British monarchy and the commitment of each new monarch to their people and to the nation. By understanding the key elements of a coronation, we can appreciate the depth and meaning behind the historic event and the important role it plays in maintaining the link between the past, present and future of the British monarchy. The Archbishop of Canterbury has historically played a central role in English coronations, with the responsibility of overseeing the anointing, crowning and investiture of the monarch. And as the spiritual leader of the Church of England, the Archbishop is responsible for guiding the monarch through the various religious aspects of the ceremony. The presence of the Archbishop symbolises the close relationship between the British monarchy and the Anglican Church, which has existed since the Reformation in the 16th century. One of the most significant moments of a coronation ceremony is the anointing of the monarch with holy oil. This ritual traces its origins back to biblical times and represents the divine approval of the monarch's rule. The Archbishop of Canterbury anoints the monarch on the hands, head and heart, emphasising the spiritual dimensions of kingship and the monarch's connection to God. The act of anointing sets the monarch apart from their subjects, highlighting their unique role as both the temporal and spiritual leader of the nation. The Archbishop of Canterbury uses the 12th century coronation spoon. Queen consorts are usually anointed with holy oil upon the head. They are traditionally then invested with regalia, including a ring, crown, scepter and rod with dove. You can hear more about the crown jewels on episode 4 of our London History podcast. In the case of Queen Elizabeth II's coronation in 1953, the holy oil used for her anointing contained a unique blend of ingredients, highlighting the rich history and symbolism associated with the ritual. The holy oil, also known as the chrism, was derived from a combination of sources, including a musk deer, a civic cat and a sperm whale. And these ingredients may seem unusual, but they have a long history in the making of sacred oils and perfumes. Musk obtained from the deer is highly valued ingredients in perfumery and has been used since ancient times in religious ceremonies. Civet is derived from the glands of the civet cat and is another fragrant substance that has been used in perfumes and religious rituals for centuries. And then ambergris, a substance produced in the digestive system of sperm whales, is a rare and highly prized ingredient in perfumery. Now, these ingredients, combined with other traditional elements such as olive oil and fragrant herbs and spices, 
created a unique and sacred blend for Queen Elizabeth II's coronation. I understand Charles III has chosen a vegan-friendly oil. After the anointing comes the crowning. The Archbishop of Canterbury places the crown on the monarch's head, marking the moment when the monarch officially assumes their new role. It's also a visual reminder of the heavy responsibilities and duties that come with the position. After the crowning comes the investiture, and this is another crucial part of the coronation ceremony, during which the monarch receives various items of regalia that represent their authority and responsibilities. The crown represents the monarch's sovereignty and divine right to rule. The orb symbolises their dominion over the earth. The scepter, on the other hand, signifies the monarch's power and authority. And the ampulla, which contains the holy anointing oil, represents the divine grace bestowed upon the monarch during the ceremony. The medieval crown jewels, once a dazzling collection of royal regalia, met a tragic fate during the English Civil War. In 1649, following the execution of King Charles I, the jewels were sold or melted down on the orders of Oliver Cromwell's Republican government. The loss of these priceless artefacts is a poignant reminder of the turbulent history that has shaped the British monarchy. Many of the jewels in the coronation ceremonies have fascinating stories attached to them. For example, the Black Prince's ruby, which adorns the imperial state crown. It's not a ruby at all, but a large spinel. This gemstone has a storied history having belonged to a Moorish king and later acquired by Edward, the Black Prince, in the 14th century. Another controversial jewel is the Corinor diamond, which is set in the crown of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. The diamond's origins can be traced back to India, and its ownership has been the subject of much debate and contention between Britain and India. During the coronation ceremony, the monarch takes a formal oath to uphold the laws of the land, protect the Church of England, and faithfully serve their people. This oath represents the monarch's commitment to their duties and responsibilities as the sovereign. It also emphasises the reciprocal relationship between the monarch and their subjects, underscoring the idea that monarch's authority derives from the consent of the people. Now, after the oath, the ceremony proceeds with the act of homage, during which various representatives of the British government, the church and the aristocracy swear their loyalty to the new monarch. This act of fealty further reinforces the bond between the monarch and their subjects and highlights the importance of collaboration and unity in governance. Coronation attire plays a significant role in British royal tradition, reflecting the grandeur and importance of these ceremonies. Each garment carries its own symbolism and history, showcasing the artistry and craftsmanship that goes into creating these stunning pieces of regalia. There are four key garments worn by the monarch during the ceremony, and these are 
the robe of state. And this is when the monarch enters Westminster Abbey at the start of the ceremony. They wear the robe of state, also known as the Parliament robe. And this is the ornate crimson velvet robe lined with ermine fur and is typically worn over the monarch's coronation attire and fastened with a gold clasp on the neck. The second item is the shroud tunic or the colobium syndonis. This is a plain white linen shift symbolising humility before God and the relinquishing of earthly vanities. And this is worn over the monarch's clothing during the anointing ceremony and it serves to protect the lavish fabrics beneath from any errant drops of oil. Following the investiture, the colobium syndonis and super tunica are removed before the newly crowned monarch makes their final procession out of the abbey. So that comes to the third one, the super tunica, and that is worn during the investiture ceremony. And it's a long robe made of golden silk and trimmed with gold lace. And it's decorated with symbols representing the four nations of the United Kingdom. And this garment serves as a reminder of the monarch's association with Christianity, drawing a parallel, really, between the priestly garments and royal attire. And then fourth is the imperial robe, worn during the monarch's final procession from the abbey. The imperial robe is made from purple silk and trimmed with ermine. Its design harks back to the imperial robes of Roman emperors and shouldn't be confused with the robe of state, which is the crimson velvet robe worn when upon entering the abbey. One of the most impressive pieces of coronation attire that I have ever seen is, well, what Queen Elizabeth II wore on her coronation on the 2nd of June 1953. As the young monarch stepped into Westminster Abbey, all eyes must have been on her stunning coronation dress. It was designed by British courtier um, Sir Norman Hartnell and this dress would have become an enduring symbol of Elizabeth II's reign as a testament to the artistry um, of British fashion. Now let's talk about this design a little bit because Sir, Sir Norman Hartnell was inspired Botticelli's painting Primavera and wanted to create a dress that would evoke a sense of rebirth and renewal. The gown itself was made of white satin with a fitted bodice, long sleeves and a full skirt extending into a magnificent train. But the real showstopper was the intricate embroidery that adorns the dress. The embroidery is truly a masterpiece. It features a symphony of floral emblems representing the countries of the United Kingdom and other Commonwealth nations. You'll find the English rose, the Scottish thistle, the Welsh leek and the Irish shamrock, as well as exotic flowers like the Indian lotus and the Canadian maple leaf. And this rich tapestry of symbols is, is brought to life using gold and silver thread, pearls, crystals and sequins, creating a dazzling effect that captured the light in every movement. And of course, this is the first coronation ceremony to have been televised. To complete the ensemble, Queen Elizabeth II wore the St Edward's crown, the solid gold 
diamond-encrusted symbol of the British monarchy. She carried the orb and scepter, further emphasising her royal status. Now, you might be wondering about the legacy of this iconic dress. Well, she wore it on a number of other occasions as well. And now the coronation gown has been exhibited worldwide. So, so many people have been able to marvel at its beauty and craftsmanship. So we've done the coronation procession and the ceremony. Well, third up is the coronation banquet. The tradition of holding coronation banquets in Westminster Hall began with the coronation of William the Conqueror in 1066 and continued for many monarchs thereafter. The coronation banquets are an opportunity for the new monarch to showcase their power and magnificence and to strengthen their alliances with the nobility. Coronation banquets held in Westminster Hall were known for their opulence and grandeur. The hall would be lavishly decorated with tapestries, banners and other regal adornments and guests would be seated at long tables with the new monarch presiding at the head of the hall. An important part of the banquet was the ceremonial entrance of the royal regalia, including the crown, orb and scepter. These items would be carried in a procession accompanied by trumpets and other fanfare before being placed on the high table before the monarch. The feasting itself would consist of multiple courses showcasing the finest foods and wines available. Entertainment was also a key component with musicians and jesters and other performers providing amusement throughout the event. Westminster Hall at the Palace of Westminster has hosted coronation banquets for many a monarch, including William the Conqueror, Edward III, Henry IV and Henry VIII. The last coronation banquet held in Westminster Hall took place in 1821 for King George IV. The tradition was discontinued thereafter due to the growing expense and logistical challenges of hosting such large-scale events. But we had other venues. Moving forward in time, we arrive at Banqueting House in Whitehall, literally down the road for Westminster Hall. And this is a magnificent building designed by the famous architect Inigo Jones and completed in 1622. And that became the primary location for coronation banquets from the early 17th century until the early 19th century. The banqueting house's stunning features include its iconic ceiling, painted by Sir Peter Paul Rubens, making it an ideal setting for those royal celebrations. Now, this magnificent building was used for coronation banquets for James I, the first British monarch, uh, Charles I, Charles II, James II and William III and Mary II. The Guild Hall is a grand structure in the heart of the City of London. Built in the early 15th century, it served as the home of the City of London Corporation and has hosted countless banquets, feasts and ceremonies over the years. Its great hall, with its high-vaulted ceiling, impressive stained-glass windows and opulent interior, was a fitting location for one royal coronation banquet. And that is the coronation banquet of Queen Anne 
and it was a lavish affair, attended by the highest-ranking members of the British nobility and the city of London's elite. The tables were laden with sumptuous dishes from roast meats and game to delicate pastries and confections accompanied by the finest wines and liquors. The banquet was not only a celebration of Queen Anne's coronation, but also a demonstration of the wealth and power of the City of London. The event would have been a dazzling display of pageantry, which the city does so well, and the Queen was seated in a raised dais, um, surrounded by her courtiers and guests, all dressed in their finest attire. As we continue our exploration, we come to St. James's Palace, and that's another significant location in the history of coronation festivities. Well, not a primary venue for the coronation banquets themselves, St. James's Palace has played an important role in the days leading up to the coronation. Monarchs would often stay at the palace, participating in various religious rituals and ceremonies in preparation for their coronation. The palace's close proximity to Westminster Abbey made it a convenient and symbolic location for these pre-coronation events. St James's Palace, with its long and storied history, is one of the oldest royal palaces in London. It was originally commissioned by Henry VIII in the 16th century on the site of a former leper hospital. Over the centuries, St James's Palace has been a crucial setting for many significant events in British royal history, particularly in the context of coronation festivities. As a residence for the monarch before their coronation, St James's Palace provided a serene and stately environment for quiet contemplation and spiritual preparation. In addition to the royal family, members of the court and high-ranking officials would also gather at the palace, attending to the various matters related to the coronation ceremony. In more recent history, Buckingham Palace has also played a role in coronation festivities. For example, following Queen Elizabeth's coronation in 1953, a grand luncheon was held at Buckingham Palace in lieu of a traditional coronation banquet. This event, attended by members of the royal family, royal dignitaries and other esteemed guests, showcased the continuing evolution of coronation celebrations and their adaption to the modern era. The choice of Buckingham Palace as the location for this post-coronation event also reflects the palace's importance as a symbol of the monarchy's continuity and presence in the heart of London. Over the years, the palace has become an iconic backdrop for various royal events, such as the famous balcony appearances and more recently, concerts. Regardless of the location of the coronation banquet, it was customary for the king's champion to ride into the hall dressed in full armour and issue a bold challenge to anyone who dared deny the monarch's right to the throne. This dramatic and symbolic act served as a powerful display of loyalty and a testament to the sovereign's authority. The role of the king's champion has been held by the Dimmock family for more than six centuries, making it one of the longest-standing hereditary positions in British history. 
This prestigious honour was first bestowed upon the family during the reign of King Richard II in the late 14th century and has been passed down through the generations ever since. The last time a king's champion performed this traditional royal ceremony was at the coronation of George IV in 1821. Although the role has not been called upon in recent times, the Divot family still holds the title to this day. This enduring connections to the past serves as a reminder of the rich tapestry of British royal history and the long-standing traditions that have shaped the monarchy. I'm sure you'll agree, the history of coronations is a fascinating and essential aspect of British royal tradition. From its ancient and medieval origins to its modern day evolutions, coronations have played a significant role in shaping the monarchy and its relationship with the British people. Thank you for joining me. Until next time.